Galatians 3, verses 15 through 22 is where we'll read. Beginning at verse 15, this was our text last month. Paul writes, Brothers, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside even a human covenant that has been ratified or makes additions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say unto seeds, as though referring to many, but unto your seed, referring to one who is Christ. And I say this, that the law, which came 430 years later, does not revoke a covenant that was previously ratified by the Almighty so as to cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is from the law, it is no longer from the promise. But Yahweh granted it to Abraham through the promise. Here's our text for this month. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was ordered through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person, but Yahweh is one. Is the law therefore contrary to Yahweh's promises? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise by faith in Yeshua the Messiah might be given to those who believe. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. Last month we covered verses 15 through 18, the promises that were made to Abraham and to his seed, and the singular seed, the one seed being Yeshua the Messiah. And this covenant, this promise covenant, was unilateral. It was unconditional. And it was found primarily in Genesis chapters 12, 14, and 15. A unilateral covenant means a covenant that's based on a promise by one party. There's no conditions to it. Those who are in the Messiah, those who believe in the Messiah, are the children of Abraham, since the promises were ultimately made to the one seed, the Messiah. As Galatians 3 verse 7 says when we covered it, so understand that those who have faith are Abraham's children. If you have faith in the Messiah, you are counted as a child of Abraham. If you do not have faith in the Messiah, you are not counted as a child of Abraham. We see this later in the chapter as well. We'll eventually get to this in verse 29, which is the last verse in this chapter, where Paul writes, And if you are Messiahs, or Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Why are you called Abraham's seed? Because you are in Messiah. A conditional bilateral law that comes later cannot nullify a unilateral covenant that was previously ratified by Yahweh so as to cancel the promise. Remember, Yahweh ratified the covenant when he passed through the pieces of the animals in Genesis 15. Abraham was even asleep when that took place, teaching us the covenant was not dependent upon Abraham. The covenant was dependent upon the Creator upon Yahweh. That's beautiful. Yahweh made an oath. He could swear by none greater, so he swore by his own name, the name of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping mighty one. 
And when Yahweh makes an oath, he's not like us. He's not going to back on it. He's not going to break it. So the inheritance is not based on the law. The inheritance is based on the promise. Be thankful. Before we move on, be thankful that the inheritance is based on the promise. Because if it was based on the law, then you wouldn't get any inheritance. You've transgressed Yahweh's law far too many times for the inheritance to be based on you. Even Father Abraham wouldn't get anything if the inheritance was based upon him. He had problems just like the rest of us. Sometimes we think we're the only ones with problems, but there's other people all around us with the same or similar problems. And all the great saints in the Bible, they had problems too. They had struggles too. So be thankful for the promises that Yahweh made to Abraham and to his seed, which is the Messiah. Be thankful that by grace through faith, you can be a recipient of the inheritance even though you don't deserve to get the inheritance. But as Psalm 103 says, it's my favorite psalm. <laughs> Yahweh has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. Oh, hallelujah. He has not repaid us according to our transgressions, our offenses. Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His faithful love to those who fear His name. And He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And as a father has compassion on his children, so does Yahweh have compassion on those who fear Him. If that don't make you say glory to Yah, I don't know what will. <laughs> All right. So today we move on to the question that Paul asks in verse 19. Why the law then? Why do we need the law if the inheritance is not based on the law? What is the purpose of the law if we already have the unilateral, unconditional promise of Yahweh to Abraham and his seed, the Messiah. Well, some people have opted for throwing out the law completely. Some people use this verse to throw out the law completely. I heard a preacher just this past couple of weeks say this, Gentiles are not accountable to the Ten Commandments and that we need to learn how to unhitch our faith from the Old Testament. I would have got up and leaved if I heard my preacher say that. Thanks be to Yahweh. I don't belong to that type of a congregation. Yes, I said it. I'm thankful to belong to a congregation that upholds the law of Yahweh and the righteousness of Yahweh in the commandments. But Paul doesn't say those things here, what I heard that preacher say. He instead asks, why the law? Which implies, catch this from the beginning... That implies that the law is still a reality for Paul. The question that he asks, why the law then, implies it's still a reality. The law has not vanished. It was given on Mount Sinai. And Paul recognized his validity or its validity because he did not say in verse 19, we throw it away. He instead writes, what's its purpose? Why the law? The question by itself implies that the law is still for us today. The immediate answer that he gives in verse 19 to his own question is this. He asked the question. He answers the question. It was added because of transgressions, verse 19, until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. That's as far as we'll get today in verse 19. Notice here the seed, singular, is a reference to our Messiah, just like in verse 16. Yeshua was not there at the giving of the law. He came later. He was the seed of Abraham that the promise was made to. 
but there was time that had to lapse and things that needed to be done until the seed would come to whom the promise was made. When Paul says that the law was added, which echoes his earlier statement, the law which came 430 years later, I don't believe that Paul is just talking about a singular law or a couple of laws. He's not just talking about the feast days or the tassels. He isn't even just talking about the Levite priesthood or the sacrificial system. I don't believe that. Paul is speaking of the entirety of the law of Yahweh, including the Ten Commandments, that was added as a written down law code when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai. I believe Paul was talking about the codification of the law. Some pro-law advocates, at least to a point, attempt to interpret the book of Galatians by saying that Paul was only talking about laws that did not exist in Genesis, but came later. They say that any law that was added has been abolished, but any law that existed prior to Mount Sinai is still in effect or still remains. And the problem or a problem with this is that the people that teach this are not consistent with their own theology at this point. Because, I'll just give one example, things like animal sacrifices existed in Genesis. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where Yahweh made coats of skin for Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis 4 where Abel also brought the firstling of his flock. I had a discussion recently and in the discussion there was a few people involved. One of the gentlemen said that tithing, when the question was presented about tithing, he said, but see, tithing did not originate at Mount Sinai. Tithing existed before the law in Genesis 14. That's true. And I responded, so did animal sacrifices. And you could hear the crickets chirp. Because that's the case. But people that believe this, they don't offer up animal sacrifices. I taught a whole series one time on animal sacrifices. I don't believe that Yahweh has changed his mind about how much he loves them and how much that he appreciates you giving of your possession to Almighty Yahweh. There's nothing wrong with that. It has to be done in its proper order. You can listen to that series. If that throws up any red flag, maybe you weren't here, but you can re-listen to that series. So I don't think that Paul meant for us to take this understanding from his writing here. I believe that Paul is speaking of the entire law of Moses or the Mosaic Covenant. Paul is not denying that the commandments of Yahweh existed prior to Mount Sinai, but he is saying that the law code as one cohesive book, so to speak, or written down covenant, that was added 430 years. And what was it added to? In context, it wasn't added to an existing law. The context is it was added to the promise. The promise that Yahweh made to Abraham and his seed. That's what it was added to. Look with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, which is a recounting of Yahweh's choosing of Abraham and his descendants, physical descendants, and Yahweh's grace time and time again on those descendants of Abraham, the children of Jacob Israel. 
We won't read the entire chapter, although I think that's good for you to do in your study time this week. Read the entirety of Nehemiah 9 to get all the context. But I just want to read verses 11 through 14 to get a little bit of context and show you that the giving of the law is something that was understood in the Bible to have taken place at Mount Sinai after the Exodus and not before Mount Sinai. Look at it. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse, beginning at verse 11. This is a prayer that Nehemiah is praying. You divided the sea before them, and they crossed through it on dry ground. Now that should let you know, Yahweh, ultimately, I know Moses stretched out his hand, but Moses said, stand and see the salvation of Yahweh. Okay, so Yahweh ultimately was the one that divided the sea, and the Israelites crossed through on dry ground. You hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into churning waters. That should be obvious. That's a reference to the Egyptians that drowned in the sea. Verse 12, you led them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night to illuminate the way they should go. Listen to this carefully, verses 13 and 14. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them impartial ordinances, reliable instructions, and good decrees and commandments. You revealed your holy Sabbath to them and gave them commandments, statutes, and a law through your servant Moses. That ties into Brother TJ's lesson about Moses ascending up into the heavens, meaning up on top of the mountain, spending time with Yahweh and coming down and giving gifts unto the children of men. Paul applies that in principle, to the Messiah in Ephesians chapter 4. But this is when Yahweh gave the law to the children of Israel. In verses 13 through 14 here in Nehemiah 9 is speaking of the same thing that Paul speaks of in Galatians 3, verse 17 and verse 19. This is the law that was given or was added to the promise 430 years after Yahweh made that promise or promises to Abraham and to his seed. This is what, I won't turn to this one, but this is what Exodus chapter 31 verse 18 is talking about when the Bible says this, Exodus 31, 18, when he finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, who's that talking about? Yahweh. He gave him two tablets of the testimony, stone tablets inscribed by the finger of the Almighty. Can you imagine anybody wanting to do away with any of those commandments that Yahweh wrote with his own finger. You say, Brother Matthew, what do you think that that means? I think it means he wrote them with his own finger. That's what I think it means. On those two tablets. I believe they were sapphire stones, blue. That's why we wear the ribbon of blue, I believe. But nevertheless, Yahweh gave Moses these tablets. He gave them the law. This does not mean that these commandments did not exist prior to to the end of Moses' 40-day fast. They existed before Moses ever went on a fast because they're the morality of Yahweh. They're the essence of Yahweh. They've always existed. But the giving of the law or the law being added is a reference to the formal giving with all the pomp and circumstance, if we can say that. This was a big thing. This was a big deal. This wasn't the addendum or the asterisk. This was a big deal. Yahweh came down. He burnt the top of the mountain because he was so fiery. Our mighty one is a consuming fire, the author of Hebrews says. So this is a reference in Galatians 3 to the formal giving or the codification of the law, the Mosaic Covenant, or some scholars and theologians call it the Sinaitic Covenant because it happened at Mount Sinai. This is the law that was added because of transgressions. 
the entire law code book after the exodus of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, the bilateral covenant wasn't a unilateral covenant. It was a conditional bilateral covenant that said this, if you carefully keep my covenant, you will be my special treasure. That's what was added. But why? Paul says it does not nullify the previous unilateral, unconditional covenant made by the promise of Yahweh to Abraham and the Messiah. So the law that came 430 years later can't revoke what Yahweh had already spoken by oath to Abraham. So why the law? Galatians 3.19. Paul says it was added because of transgressions and I take that to mean it was added for the sake of making transgressions clear. That's how I take that. Now, 19th century Presbyterian pastor Albert Barnes in his notes on the New Testament, he puts it as best as I've ever read it from anyone in his commentary on Galatians 3.19. I'm going to read part of that because I couldn't put it any better. Listen to what Mr. Barnes says back in the 1800s. Quote, The meaning is that the law was given to show the true nature of transgressions or to show what was sin. It was not to reveal a way of justification, but it was to disclose the true nature of sin, to deter people from committing it, to declare its penalty, to convince people of it, and thus to be ancillary to and preparatory to the work of redemption through the Redeemer. This is the true account of the law of God as given to apostate man and this use of the law still exists. End of that quote. It's beautiful. See, until a law code is written down, transgression is not entirely unmistakable. And a person cannot definitively be held accountable for wrongdoing. In a classroom, a teacher may have a rule that no one gets up to sharpen their pencil during a test. But if she does not vocalize that rule, or even better, write that rule down on the chalkboard. The rule is not well established. I mentioned this a couple of sermons ago. I used Brother Frankie as an example. Brother Frankie could have a rule for his employees to follow. But if the rule just exists in Brother Frankie's mind, or if it's floating around by word of mouth, it exists, but it's not definitive. The moment that he gets out a piece of paper and writes that rule down on paper signs his name at the bottom and posts it for everyone to see, the rule becomes definitive and it makes transgression of that rule apparent. It makes it clear. And if somebody says, well, I didn't know about it, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? <laughs> so this is the number one reason for the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Because of transgressions carries the meaning of for the sake of making transgressions clear. So that sin could be seen for what it really is. And the remedy for sin through blood atonement could be realized clearly. We learned that from the law as well. How that Yahweh loves us enough to give us a way to forgive us of our sins. You know the sacrificial system shows the love of Yahweh. It shows Yahweh's love. He gave that for the Israelites in the Old Covenant for them to have their sins atoned for. The Day of Atonement wasn't a mean thing. It was a blessing, a day of forgiveness for the children of Israel. A day of mercy, a day of grace. 
the number one use of the law is as a mirror to reveal that there can be no doubt that we are transgressors. Everybody see themselves in the mirror? You couldn't see yourself before I held that mirror up, could you? See, a mirror is a tool that you use to look into and see what you need to do to your face. We wake up in the morning and what we see is messy hair, crusty eyes, teeth that need to be brushed. This mirror is not going to brush your hair for you. This mirror is not going to clean out your eyes. It's not going to brush your teeth. But it is marvelous and it is perfect in doing what it's designed to do to show you your flaws. <laughs> Rosalind, I was asking for a mirror and uh, Tisha had this one at the camper. It's a little big, but I said I need it for my sermon illustration, right? So Rosie said, I have a, a small one. And I looked at that one and it was like a concave mirror and I stuck it up to my face and it was like my nose is already big, but it looked like three times as big when I looked in that concave mirror and I said, no, that one shows the flaws too much. <laughs> I didn't bring that one, so I brought this one. The other day at work, my son told me, Dad, you've got something on your eye. And I looked into the mirror on the side of my truck, and I saw the dirt under here, right here, and above my eyebrow. I didn't know the dirt was there until I looked in the mirror, until somebody told me I had something in my eye. I looked in the mirror. The mirror didn't remove the dirt, but it did show me where the dirt was, and it revealed to me where I needed to clean. So what did I do? I cleaned the dirt off of my eye. Why the law? There's three main reasons for the law. We're going to discuss the other two reasons in the next sermon. But today I just want you to understand that the law was given to show you your sin in a way that is plain and unmistakable. And if you unhitch yourself from the Ten Commandments or from the law, sin is no longer definitive. It's no longer unmistakable. You would not know sin if it wasn't for the law. You would not know that you were a transgressor unless you read the law code. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, I would not have known sin if not for the law. I would not have known desire or a wrong coveting unless the law said, do not covet. Tenth commandment. There would be no absolute way to determine right and wrong if there was no codified law. There would be no way for you to know that you needed cleaning if there was no law to show you that you were dirty. There's nothing wrong with the law, brothers and sisters. Not a thing wrong with the law. And it grates on my heart my mind so much when people talk negative about it. I guess that's because Yahweh wrote His law on my heart and my mind. That's why it grates on my heart and my mind. I wouldn't be desirous of doing it had He not written it there. So I'm so thankful that He wrote it there with His finger. The law is perfect in doing what it is designed to do. It's no different than the best mirror on the planet. This mirror is perfect in doing what it's designed to do. You don't use this mirror to eat your cereal with. You don't use this mirror to brush your hair with. You don't use this mirror to hammer a nail. Me and Brother Michael were doing carpentry work together and he said, I need to hammer this nail in, Matthew. And I go to the truck and I bring back a mirror Brother Michael's going to say, are you hard of hearing? I need something to hammer the nail in. There's nothing wrong with a mirror as long as you use it for the reason it was designed to be used. It wasn't designed to hammer a nail in. 
It's not work. Don't work that way. The law was never meant as a tool for justification. The law was never meant as a tool to forgive your sins. The law itself reveals our need for atonement or forgiveness. And it does so through the sacrificial system that exists in the law. The sacrifices and the Levite priesthood teach us that we are not holy in and of ourselves. There was only one man in Israel that was allowed to go into the holiest place of all where Yahweh's presence dwelt. And he could only go in there one day out of the year and that not without blood. And Josephus, the historian, the Israelite historian tells us that there was a rope that they would tie on the high priest's ankle with bells on it so that if he died while he was in there with Yahweh, they could pull him out because they didn't want to go in there. (laughs) That's something, isn't it? It teaches us we're not holy in and of ourselves, but that we need cleansing, we need forgiveness, and we need the blood atonement of an innocent victim like the sacrificial system teaches. All of this is taught in the law, and the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. But you can't use it to justify yourself because that's not what it was designed to do. The mirror shows you the dirt, but it don't take the dirt off. So why the law? That question that Paul asks in Galatians 3.19 should let us know that the law still exists and it is needed. Paul didn't say it was no longer needed. He just gave us the primary answer for the law's existence. The law was added, codified, written down in order to make us aware of our transgressions because of transgressions and show us the need that we have, the deep need that we have to be cleansed from our sins and transgressions. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. We'll continue this next week the same line of thinking. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your law. Thank You for Your instructions. They're perfect in converting the soul. They're sure and they make the simple wise. We're warned by them. There's a great reward in obeying them. But Father Yahweh, first off, we thank You that they reveal our need to be saved. Yahweh, Father, I pray we'd never put our trust in the law for justification or for the forgiveness of sins. But I pray that we would never set it to the wayside because if we do, we may not always understand that we need to be forgiven. So we thank You for Your law today. Thank You for the Apostle Paul so thankful that he penned this letter a long time ago. And I'm thankful for a good understanding. I pray all these things to you through our Messiah. Amen and amen. Shalom.